That girl can sing. Woo. Maybe she'll go out with me. That's what I'm hoping. Um, it's my wife, by the way, in case anyone. Visitors, I apologize for that. That's not being inappropriate. Um, but uh, it's, it's, it is an honor to get to be here and preach uh, on a Sunday morning in big church. It's, man, it's just fantastic. And, and Mark, thanks for trusting me in, in this journey of this story that, that he has done so far, this, this character test of Joseph and what he has walked through. And there are many more plot twists and turns and ups and downs that are going to be happening in his life. Definitely encourage you to be here um, every Sunday and not miss out on that. Thank you for those that are watching online. Appreciate that too. Hi to my mom. She watches. And so uh, get to say hi to her. But um, it is it is good. And I pray that you hear his voice way louder than mine today. But I want to start with a question to you. I asked the youth this a few weeks ago, and I'll ask you now. What is the most courageous thing you've ever done? And, and lots of things are probably going through your mind, you know, like skydiving or something like that. Um, there's, there's lots of things that come to our mind, like what is the most courageous thing you've ever done? Now, I define courage this way. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the willingness to do the right thing in the face of fear. That, that's how I define courage. And when I think about courageous acts... That's the criteria that I'm using, and I want you to process through that in your head. What is the most courageous thing that you've ever done? Um, uh, there's a quote that I think is fantastic. We'll put on the screen. A single act of courage is often the tipping point for something extraordinary. A single act of courage is oftentimes the tipping point for something extraordinary, for something amazing, for something that you never expected, never saw coming, and yet here it is because you were willing to take that one single act of courage and do it. Here's a perfect example, picture of this. Maybe you know who this is. December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks would not give up her seat on a bus. A single act of courage was the tipping point for something extraordinary when it comes to racial equality and what's going on even today in our country. Her single act of courage has led to and is leading to something extraordinary. Now, in Scripture, there's there's a lot of, of easy answers to find about courageous acts. And you got, you know, Daniel and you got David taking on Goliath. You got Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in a fiery furnace. You, you've got all that. What I want to challenge your hearts with today is this. What we're going to look at in this next chapter of the story of Joseph's life may be outside of the cross, the single most greatest act of courage in all of scripture. Now, it's not as famous. People don't tell this story like they tell David and Goliath. They don't tell it like Daniel in the lion's den because those are scary moments. There's a a big giant that you're facing and these hungry lions that you're facing right here and you might die. But I think the single act of courage that Joseph takes in this story today might be the greatest one because it hits home for us more relevant today than ever before. It meets us where we are. Few of us, if any, are going to stand before a 10 foot person in real life. Now, we have our Goliaths that we face. I don't think any of us are going to be thrown into a pit of hungry lions and face that. But every one of us has been, currently are, or will be faced with what Joseph had to face today. And so I want you to look through this story with me as the most relevant example of courage that I can think of in our culture today in the story. Turn to Genesis 39 is where we're going to be. Genesis 39, and we will start with verse 1. 
It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt after his jealous brothers got mad and threw him in a pit and were going to kill him and pulled him out of the pit. And then they sold him into slavery and all that stuff that happened in his life. He was taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now, Potiphar is a man of significance in the country. He's, he has power. He has opportunity here. And, and these Ishmaelites come rolling into town. And he's got the pick of the litter. And he's going to buy this slave. And, and so he ends up buying Joseph that's there. Now, a side note about uh, Potiphar in this that you need to hang on to. You think it's not that big a deal. It plays into the story later on. Potiphar, being an Egyptian and being someone in power down there and being that, I do not have his medical record, so I cannot confirm this 100%, but based on cultural, we can probably assume that he was a eunuch. And and that plays in later on in the story. So keep that in the back of your mind as we move forward with this. We'll go to verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. And in these Four verses right here, five times this idea is repeated again and again and again. Five times the same idea, and if we miss it, we're missing the whole foundation of not just today's story, but the entire life of Joseph. His entire life is built on the foundation of that idea that's been in here five times in four verses right here in the beginning of this story that says the Lord was with him and the Lord blessed him. That's the foundation. That's what everything is built on, regardless of what comes, regardless of the storm, regardless of the twist or the turn or whatever goes on. The foundation is there. The Lord is with him and the Lord blessed him. And we get to live on that foundation, too. The Lord is with us and the Lord blesses us, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it doesn't go the way we want it to go. But the foundation is there. If you've given your life to Christ, he is a strong tower. The righteous run in and they are safe. It doesn't mean it's always easy. It doesn't mean it always feels good. But that is the foundation. So don't miss that as you look backwards to the first four messages. You look forward to the next messages that are coming after this one. This is foundational that the Lord is with him and the Lord blesses him. So we go to verse 6. It says, So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. What a life. He has power. He has position, he has authority, and now he has incredible favor. Like everything's going his way, everything in the field, whatever he plants, it's going to grow. Whatever happens in his house, it's going to grow. Whatever team he cheers on is going to win. His fantasy football team wins every week. Like everything is happening good for Potiphar. He's got all, the only thing he has to worry about is food. You know what he did? He reverted to being a high school boy. All he did is worry about what he's going to eat and when he's going to eat it. And that's all he cared about. What's in the fridge? Is there some meat? Because I'm going to eat that for breakfast. doesn't matter what the meat is. I'm going to eat it for breakfast. Can I get an amen, Jackson? Where are you at? Yeah, that's what he eats for breakfast, whatever meat is in there. Now, we move on. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. I love it when God writes scriptures that we can relate to. 
just speaks to us right where we are. I don't know why you're laughing. That was not supposed to be funny. Um, but seriously, I mean, the struggle is real. I mean, when you're well built and handsome, it's just things just come your way. And um, not that I would know that at all. But uh, but so he's he's well built and handsome. It's a blessing and a curse because opportunities come and you have to decide are you going to use them for evil or for good. Like that's really what happens. So let's see what happens here. Verse seven. Joseph's well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Dun, dun, dun. Now the plot thickens. See, now the story, this is what we like. We want the juicy stuff here, right? Opportunity has presented itself, and a choice must be made. The opportunity is now here. He's been there for X amount of time. I don't know exactly how long he had been serving in the house, long enough for Potiphar's wife to take notice and go, all right, that guy, all right. And so now the opportunity presents itself, and he has to make a choice. Now, before we look at what he did, I want to look at what he didn't do. Because I think it's important for us to also see what he did not do and not just focus on what he did do. So here's what he did not do when she made this uh, proposition to him. One, he did not check Potiphar's schedule to see when he'd be back. Like, hey, I want you to come to bed with me. Ah, let's see, when's Potiphar coming back? Let me see his schedule. Like, pulled out his iPhone to see when he was going. He didn't do that. Number two, he did not send the rest of the staff home for the day. Hey, guys, I, I got an opportunity I need to think through. I need some quiet space. Could you all leave today? Like he didn't, he did not do that. Number three, he did not feel sorry for this lady who was married to a eunuch. See, that'd be easy to do. And how many times has that happened in our culture where someone complains about their spouse to someone else? Oh, they're so bad. They're so busy. They don't love me. They don't care about me. They love their job more than this, or they drink too much, or uh, they don't think I'm enough. Like, all of the things, and we begin to complain to someone else, or someone has complained to us, and, and we feel bad for them and go, oh, I, I, would, I would be better. Let me take care of you, and now we're in an affair. We didn't mean to. I just felt bad because you obviously have a terrible husband, and I need to make you feel better. You have a terrible wife, and I need to make you feel better. That's not what he did. He did not feel like he was owed this because of what he had been through. He didn't go, man, look at my life. It's been so hard. My family rejected me and they took my favorite coat and, and they poured blood on it. And they threw me in a pit and, and then they told my dad I was dead and, and then they just sold me into slavery. My life has been terrible. You have no idea what I've been through. This is horrible. Man, this is just an opportunity to feel better. I deserve this. How foolish are we when we think that way in our lives? It's been so hard. You don't understand what I've been through, Alan. It's okay for me to make that bad choice this one time. I'm owed this. I need something to make me feel better because my life doesn't feel good. Well, God didn't come here to make us feel good. He came to make us holy. He came to make us more like him. And sometimes that means going through difficult times. So he was owed nothing in that. He didn't feel like he was. He didn't think, "Eh, it's not that bad. Well, how many times have we used that? Well, it's not that bad. Look what they did. That's way worse than this. Like, this is kind of a win-win. Her husband can't take care of her. I can. It's a win-win. It gets her to be quiet. It's just going to be one time. It's no big deal. It's not, it's not that bad. Do you know what the wages of sin is? What is it? It's death. Has that changed since God wrote it in his word? No, it has not. The wages of sin are still death even when it feels good. Sin is fun. If sin wasn't fun, you wouldn't want to do it all the time. But the consequences are still severe. The consequences are still death. We can't just 
flippantly throw that away because it feels good one time or, or because it's not that big a deal. It's not as bad as someone else's. God doesn't compare sin. He sees that it killed his son. Like That's important for us to know. He did not decide that it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission, so I'll just do this. And we use that justification. Well, God will forgive me if I mess up this way. And then we intentionally choose sin. That's not okay. It's not. And, and in this moment, Joseph had incredible opportunity to do something that would feel good. And maybe no one would ever know. And it's not going to hurt anybody. It's not like her husband can, can come do this. It's not like anything else. It's not a big deal. Like, it'll be okay. It's just a little sin. So what did he do? Verse 8. But he refused. Plain and simple. He refused. There was no thinking. There was no considering. There was no calling his buddies and texting them going, hey, here, I got this opportunity. What do you think I should do? That didn't happen because the decision was already made before the situation came. We would be wise to know that. We would be wise to have conversations with our spouses. We would be wise to have conversations with students. We would be wise to have these things so that when the situation comes, the decision has already been made. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to wonder, oh, what should I do here? No, you already know. I will refuse. I will walk away. I will not play with that. I'm not going to continue to do that. That is not going to be a choice. And then he explains why. But he refused, didn't think about it, refused, then explains why in the rest of the verse. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? It was an easy decision for him. How could I ever do something so wicked that would dishonor my master, that would dishonor you, that would dishonor my God? And I don't know if he's thinking or not, but dishonor my future mate. Do we understand that every choice we make has a ripple effect on people that we haven't even met yet? Every, students, can I tell you, every choice you make right now will affect your future spouse. Everyone. I'm not just talking about sexual decisions. I'm talking about all your decisions. Think now. Make up your mind now. These are the kind of conversations I will have. These are the situations I will put myself in. These are the things that will go on in my life, and I've already made up my mind what I'm going to do. Parents, have those conversations. If this is going to happen, what are you going to do? So they don't have to think about it. So it's already there. And I know many of you parents have done this. My mom and dad did this when I was a kid. They always said, make me the bad guy. I've told Colby and Molly that. Make me the bad guy. If you're in a spot and you know you shouldn't be there, you need to get out, you say, my dad won't let me be here. And I'll be the bad guy. But have your plan in place so that temptation doesn't win. But God does. He chose to, he chose to honor his master, his, his master's wife, his God, and his future mate. But... This lady was relentless. She didn't quit after one no. Verse 10. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day after day, trying to wear him down, trying to wear him down, day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Like, not only did he refuse that, he said, I'm going to distance myself from you. This is social distancing right here at its finest. When temptation comes, he flayed flee from it, and didn't flirt with it. It's not our goal to get as close to sin as we can and see what happens. 
I want to get as close as I can. And I want to get as close to the edge as I can and try not to fall. That's not what it is. It's flee. We're supposed to get away from it. We create distance from it. We don't go flirt with it and wonder why it hurts us. Quit flirting with temptation and flee from it. Second Timothy 2.22 tells us, flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. Accountability matters. Gather some folks with you that have the same values you do, that have the same priorities you do, that has the same core foundation that you have so that you can help each other do this. So that you can flee, so you can run, so that you have your out right there. Flee this youthful lust. Here's what happens with lust. See, we have this, this idea about lust and it's, it's this thing. Lust, lust is not something that says, I love that. Lust says, I love me. And I want that. Lust does not care one bit about the other thing. It cares about itself only. And when lust is not satisfied, it leads to hatred. And you will see that in this story coming up right now. So hang on to that truth right there. Now, are we going to be faced with this, this lady that's going to come and say, oh, kind of bear with me. Is that probably happening in our lives? Maybe, but, but probably not. But what I tell you is, when we read the statistics, what happened when we were especially locked down in quarantine, that the pornography business made billions. So it may not be some lady going, hey, come over it may be that screen going, hey, come here. Come be with me online. Come do this right here. And we get sucked into that. And the addiction comes to that. That's the Potiphar's wife of today. And we have to flee. We have to flee. Verse 11. Because again, she don't quit. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties. And none of the household servants was inside. Now, he gets up, does his workout, takes a shower, has his quiet time, and he comes to work. He walks into the house, and it's kind of quiet in here. There's nobody in the kitchen preparing food. There's nobody doing laundry. There's nobody getting the yard done. There's Alarm should be going off. Red flag, red flag, red flag. Something is not right here. Something is not right. The red flag should go off. The alarm should be sounding, right? My question to us is this. What red flags are you ignoring in your life right now? What red flags is God saying, look out, look out, danger is coming, danger is coming. That message from an old friend, it's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. The unwillingness to share your passwords with your spouse, it's a huge deal. It's a red flag. Not willing to check each other's phone. Well, that's none of your business. A bull. The two have become one. It's every bit your business. You need to catch each other doing right. Not catch each other doing wrong. That person that worked that always happens to show up in the break room at the same time you do, it's a red flag. They have to always be the one to deliver you the message or deliver you the project or deliver you the package. Or deliver. Hmm, it's a red flag. We've got to be careful and, and respond to these red flags in a Specific way. We flee. We don't flirt. Stop flirting with temptation and start fleeing from it. So he goes in. These red flags are going off, but that's his job. And he's in there and he's trying to do whatever's right in this thing. None of the servants are inside. Verse 12. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Ran out of the house. Like he took off right there. He didn't take an offense. He didn't take up a defense. 
He took responsibility for what he could, which was his actions. Circumstances don't change the way you take responsibility in them. Take the responsibility and get out of there. Flee away from it. Don't flirt with it. Don't try to defend yourself. Don't try to fight in it. You flee from it. God tells us to do that right here. And so that's what happened. He ran. Verse 13. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. I guess they had been hiding because they weren't there. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Lust turns to hatred. She wasn't getting what she wanted. She wasn't getting what she lusted after, so it turned to hatred. So now I will hate you because I can't have you. And that's a terrible place to be. So she makes up this story and falsely accuses him. And matter of fact, even makes it racist when she starts going, this Hebrew, this less than us, this, this guy who's not deserving of us. So she already speaks badly of him and then tells something even worse about what he did that he didn't even do. Falsely accused in this moment. She tells all these other witnesses that weren't even there. Verse 16, she kept his cloak by, beside her until her master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave, racist comment, you brought us, came to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Can you believe this just happened to me? And here's the cloak to prove it. I have the evidence right here. Look what he tried to do to me. Lust turned to hatred. And now it's costing people. This is a ridiculous story. This should be on some daytime TV show kind of thing, right? But I don't see it as that. I see it as a chance for us to learn how to be courageous. Like, how do you learn to be courageous in that? A single act of courage is often the tipping point for something extraordinary. Here's the three options of courage that I want to challenge you with. Number one is this. The courage to leave when it would be easier to stay. The courage to leave when it would be easier to stay. That's what Joseph just did. It would be easy to stay. The easy thing is to stay and like... It's just one time. It's no big deal. It's not. It's a win-win. Everybody's happy at the end of the day. This will be great. But he had the courage to leave when it would be easier to stay and do what feels good. He made the courageous choice and left and left quickly. I don't know what it is that you need the courage to, to leave when it would be easier to stay. But I will challenge you on your social media. It's easy to stay on there and get caught up in the political. I think we should get rid of all the social media during elections. <laughs> but it'd be easier to it'd be easier to stay. But it's maybe it's more courageous to leave and not engage in those things. Or maybe delete your social media altogether because you're getting friend requests from people you shouldn't. Or you're hiding things from your spouse. Or you're hiding things from your parents with your online presence. And maybe the courageous thing is to get rid of that social media when it'd be easier to stay. Because I have to be connected. You want to be connected? Right here. 66 books to be connected to. One Savior. Number two. First is the courage to leave when it would be easier to stay. The second is the courage to stay when it would be easier to leave. So it's just the opposite of that. I, I asked you guys at the beginning of this message, what's the most courageous thing that you've ever done? I will share with you mine. Because I'm not going to ask you to do something I'm not. And And... Some of you know mine and Amy's story that we shared in Big Church two years ago. If you've knew in the last two years, um, briefly um, found out after 10 years of marriage that Amy had been involved in several affairs. 
worst day of my life. Everything in me wanted to run away. Everything in me was feeling under attack. And maybe even according to scripture, I had the right to leave. She committed adultery. That's one of the big ten. So I have the right to leave. I should walk away from this. It'd be so easy. And it would be, it would be justified to do that. It was painful. But God challenged my heart. God challenged Amy's heart. God challenged our marriage. And I chose to stay. There's no way I could have done that on my own. There's no way I wanted to do it on my own. But God said, you need to stay. It'd be easy to leave. It'd be easy to leave. And no one would get mad at you for it. But is that the message you want to send to your kids? Is that the message you want to send to the students that you say you love? Is that the message you want to send to the church that you say you love? Is that the message that you want the church to send to the world? No, it's not. I want them to see the power of my Savior. I want them to see the redeeming, redemption, hope that we have because of what Jesus can do if we have the courage to stay when it would be easier to leave. That's what I wanted the story to be. And I don't wish that on anybody and I don't want anybody to have to go through what we've been through, but I will tell you, I would challenge anyone to have a better marriage than I do now. It's not perfect. There's still lots of ups and downs, but we can talk about anything. You can talk about affair. You can talk about anything. And we have the freedom to do that and the strength to do that. And I love you with all of my heart. And you're my best friend. And there's no one I want to do life with than you. And that's the message. And that's why I say that was the greatest act of courage that I've ever done. But I sure didn't do it on my own. Number three, the courage to ask for help when it would be easier to pretend everything is okay. The courage to ask for help when it would be easier to pretend everything is okay. And this is so true in our culture today, but the things we put up on social media and the mask we wear and the, the, the way we present everything is perfect and awesome in our lives when it's not. Can I tell you, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. I'm not okay a lot. But God is good, even when I'm not okay. There's strength in asking for help. I think everybody would benefit from counseling. Counseling is a big reason that our marriage was saved. God used incredible counselors to help us through that so we could process and understand. It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to not ask for help. Our staff is not counselors, but we have relationships with a lot of them, and we'd love to get you connected if you need that. If you're connecting with mine and Amy's story, we'd love to talk to you about that too. We don't have all the answers. We can just tell you what we did, what God did. But secrets are dangerous. Secrets are dangerous. Secrets grow into ugly things in the dark places of our heart. We've got to be careful. Secrets are what take Christians out. It's not theology. It's not what version of the Bible you read. It's not how the music sounds. It's not that. It's secrets that end up taking Christ's followers out because we let shame and guilt and regret heap up on top of us and we think we're completely not worthy. I lived that. I was not okay. When I found all that out, the first thing the enemy said is, you're a terrible husband. What did you do to make her do that? You're not enough and you never will be enough. And it beat me down. And God had to say, your identity is not in that. Your identity is in me. And greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You're not defined by that. You're going to be okay. And I am, because of God. Why don't we ask for help? Why do we pretend it's all okay? Why do we do that? Because we see everybody else's social media and we go, oh, man, they got it all perfect and my life's terrible. Because you're comparing your lowlights to everyone else's highlights. Stop it. Just stop. 
If you need to get off of social media because it's tearing you up inside, get off. Have the courage to do that and be free from that and quit comparing yourself to other people and start submitting yourself to God. That's where freedom is. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and, and it's the Son that sets us free. Let's follow that. Let's believe in that and move forward to that. So why don't we ask for help? I think there's a couple of reasons why we don't ask for help. One, we're afraid of what other people might find out about us. Because if they find out that happens, they're going to think less of us. Boy, that kept me under, under wraps a long time with Amy. Boy, you can't be a pastor. You can't even control your own family. Your wife does that. You're a terrible person. If people find out, Alan, you will lose all credibility. You will never pastor again. You'll never be, your kids are going to be terrible. Like all of those lies. And God said, quit believing lies and start believing the truth. That does not define your marriage, but it can be a defining moment for your marriage. And it was. That is not who Amy is. She is not an adulterer. She is a child of God who committed adultery. Her identity never changed because of her actions. And neither does yours. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay if other people find out we're all broken. We, I'm so grateful to be at a church where Mark and Pam have been completely vulnerable with their lives. They're not perfect. Our staff isn't perfect. And that makes us perfectly suited to follow a perfect God. I want to encourage you on that. The second reason that we don't ask for help is this. We're afraid of what we'll find out about ourselves. And that's scary too because we want to keep the mask up. We want to keep the facade up. We want to keep everybody at arm's length because if they get to know me, they won't like me. They won't love me. They'll reject me. You've already been accepted. You've already been loved. You've already been forgiven by the one that matters the most. Live in that. Walk in that. So those are your three acts of courage. When you take that act of courage, that doesn't mean automatic glory and success and rainbows and unicorns and all the wonderful things in life. It's not what it means. Sometimes it means more hardship will be coming because you made the right choice. Potiphar forgot why things were so good at his house. He heard this story that his wife shared and just turned red with rage. He's just boiling mad and he completely forgot. Please understand this. It's important for us to grab this idea right here that God did not bless Joseph because he was in Potiphar's house. God blessed Potiphar's house because Joseph was in it. And the favor of the Lord was on Joseph. That's why. And Potiphar forgot that. He got so cocky in his own thing. Everything's going my way. Everything's wonderful. And then he did this to my wife and he kicked him out. Things weren't going to go so well after that. And so he responded out of anger. Verse 19. Back to the story. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But that's not fair. He did the right thing. He was wrongly accused. He, he didn't do any of that. He was being a great guy. He had favor because of him being in there. He did everything God asked him to do. He was in perfect position. He had already been through all this bad stuff. This should have, this, why does it turn out this way? This isn't fair, Alan. God isn't worried about fair. He's worried about making you more like him. Nothing is wasted in his economy. Not one decision, not one location. Can I tell you, prison isn't a place. It's an opportunity to call out to God. It's an opportunity to be courageous. That's what it is. But he gets thrown in prison because of what he did right. Because this woman was so consumed with lust and this man was so consumed with anger that did not know God that a man of God ended up in prison. And that's where we're going to leave him today. 
That's not fair. We'll come back next week and hear. Cliffhanger. Or read chapter 40 and run it for yourself. Like whatever you want to do. Prison isn't a place, it's an opportunity. Temptation isn't a sin. It's an opportunity to respond to God. Nowhere in Scripture does it say being tempted is a sin. Matter of fact, if you're not being tempted, then the enemy's probably good with you because you're not doing anything for the kingdom. Be careful. <laughs> because if you're being tempted, then you're making strides to further the kingdom of God. But being tempted is not a sin. Giving in to temptation is a sin. Flee. Run. Get out. Have a plan. Be ready. Take a single act of courage. Be willing to leave when it'd be easier to stay. Be willing to stay when it'd be easier to leave. Be willing to ask for help instead of pretending everything is okay. So here's my closing question as the band comes back up. What is the single act of courage that you need to make that could be the tipping point for something extraordinary in your life? What is that? What is the thing that you need to leave when it would be easier to stay? What is the thing that you need to stay when it would be easier to leave? What is the phone call you need to make to ask for help instead of pretending everything's okay when it's not? And it's okay to not be okay. When you are faced with temptation, what story do you want to tell? What story do you want to tell? Do you want to tell the story of, well, I blew it and I ended up in prison and I ended up divorced? And I, no, that's not the story you want to tell. When you're faced with temptation, the story you want to tell, the story I want to tell, is that I sensed that God was there and I cried out to him and I was courageous enough to ask for help from him and he bailed me out. He pulled me out of the miry clay. He said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you at all times. That's the story that I want to tell. That's the story that I pray my marriage tells. That's the story that I pray my life tells. And what's the story you want to tell when you're faced with temptation? Because how you respond in courage or not courage will tell that story. Today is the day you take a courageous step. But you have to decide what it is. I will tell you this. God is not about letting us sit still. He loves us so much that he's going to challenge us, continue to move forward to be more like him. That's who he is. And this call to courage that he's asking us to do, there is a step and only you know what it is. And maybe it's a phone call, maybe it's a response, maybe it's online, maybe it's something. I don't know what it is, but you need to have those conversations. Don't let this go in one ear and out the other. Take everything I said and completely ignore it. Take everything God said and act on it. And be courageous enough to follow a crazy awesome God.